0: Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Okay, class, it's time for you to get out your phones for a quiz. So if you take out your phones, we'll take a five-question multiple-choice quiz. If you've been with us over the weeks of camp meeting, you know the drill already. If not, just take out your phone, and there will be a QR code on the screen where you can capture the link. Or if you're not quite sure how to do the QR code with your camera, you can just type in to the search bar of your web browser, polev.com backwards slash So pollev.com, backward slash L-L-U-C, or scan the QR code. Now, since this week, we are in a passage that deals with Abram, Father Abram. We're going to take a quiz, five questions long, on Father Abraham. Now, I want to tell you, first service got two out of five. Second service, Anthem, got two out of five. So don't feel any pressure. Um, But if we could do better than that, we'll probably go home feeling a little better. So, all right, question numero uno. Let's go to question number one. Make sure it's up on the screen. Question number one. Abraham was Nahor's, what? First, second, third, fourth, or fifth son. Abraham was Nahor's first, second, third, fourth, or fifth son. All right, so third is clearly leading the pack. A little bit of changing going on. And we're going to stop it about right there. And you say third, and you are correct. Now, you didn't watch this before you came, did you? Okay, just double-checking. So we're one out of one. Question number two. The meaning of Abraham's name is prince, one who contends with God, the father of a multitude, friend of God, or God is exalted. Wow, that's a real big stretch there. So we've got 77, 76% leading the pack with the correct answer, the father of a multitude. All right, two out of two, resting on to question number three. Lot was Abraham's brother, son, father, brother-in-law, or nephew. Lot was Abraham's brother, son, father, brother-in-law, or nephew. And at 89%, 90%, the highest we've had of any question, I think, so far in camp meeting, you are correct. Nephew, three out of three. I'm getting a little suspicious, but we'll keep moving on. Number four, the Bible records Abraham as having how many sons? One, two, five, eight, or twelve. One, two, five, eight, or twelve. All right, we'll stop it about right there. You've restored my faith. Correct answer is eight. <laughs> I mean you know two but you know those patriarchs all right number five <laughs> number five the New Testament writer who refers to Abraham as the friend of God is Paul Luke John James or Peter who's the New Testament writer who refers to Abraham as the friend of God Paul Luke John James or Peter boy that was quite a shift James was way ahead, and suddenly Paul overtook him. So, all right, we're going to stop at about right there. At 56%, you say, Paul. The correct answer is James. Well, feel good about yourself. You got three out of five. So you're one ahead of the other two. Now, I didn't know all the answers to these questions, and I wrote the questions. So don't feel too bad. You know, it's one thing to sit in a sanctuary and punch on your phone and try to get a feel. Am I agreeing with those around me? Am I getting the answer right? It's one thing to do that about the decisions you're making. And it's a very different thing to live in the rough and the tumble of life and face decisions right ahead of you and in the heat of the moment to make those decisions and hope that you're making the right decision. Those are two very different things. Because of that many, and I include myself in that number and probably right near the top of the list, many of us have made wrong decisions along the way. We've made decisions we have lived, sometimes immediately lived, to regret. I suspect that there are people sitting in the pews this morning who are saying, I have made decisions that have continued to affect my life to this very day. It could be a friendship that fractured, a relationship that ruptured. It could be an unwise financial, an unethical financial decision. It could be a divorce. It could be the ending of another relationship. It could be a marriage. Decisions that you have lived to regret. And it's no wonder. Decisions are difficult to make. Challenging. Trying to sort through the best way to make them is what we're wrestling with this camp meeting series. In fact, Tess Brigham, a licensed psychotherapist who wrote a piece on CNBC.com a couple of years ago entitled, I'm a Millennial Therapist, and I know their number one complaint kind of underlines this reality. She says, I don't know how I ended up being a Millennial Therapist, but almost all of my clients are from the Millennial generation and a few of their parents. So I've listened to hours and hours and hours of them talking about their lives and the issue that rises, the dominant theme that rises to the top that they're wrestling with is this issue of decision-making. And what they say, says Brigham, is there are so many options. How do I choose? And then the number one question, she says, is, what if I make the wrong decision? Decision. Well, we can't deal with decision-making without talking about what does happen if we make the wrong decision. How do we get there? What do we do about it? What does God think about it? Pastor and author Mark Batterson says, we like to think, or we would like to think, that most of our decisions are of the 90-10 variety. 90% certainty, 10% mm, I'm not quite so sure. But he says the truth is, they're not of the 90-10 variety, they're of the 52-48 variety. 52% 48%, and we're not even sure which the 52% is. I can relate to that. I concluded years ago in my life when it comes to the issue of making decisions, I wrestle with it enough that if I hit about 75, maybe 80% certainty, I do it. Because I usually don't get north of that. I don't know what it's like for you. But that reality underlines that it's too easy to make wrong decisions. So, what do we do? Where do we turn? Well, we're going to go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 13. We're going to go to the story of Abram. This is before he becomes known as Abraham. The story of Abram and his nephew Lot. Genesis 13. Let me set the stage. Abram and his clan and Lot and his clan have just returned from Egypt. They've been down in Egypt for a period of time because of a famine. While in Egypt, Abram made a really unwise choice about his wife Sarai and almost ended up having her drawn into the harem of the Pharaoh only to have the Pharaoh discover and things, let's just say he wasn't pleased. But what did happen is that when Abram left Egypt and when Lot left Egypt, they were wealthy. And the fact that they were wealthy sets them on a collision course and drives Lot to make a decision. And it's his decision we will consider today, Genesis 13. We're going to read the whole account, starting with verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram became very wealthy in livestock and, and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had built, first built an altar. Then A- there Abram called on the name of the Lord." Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. They're wealthy. In verse 2, where the English says wealthy, the original language literally means heavy or weighted. They were loaded, in other words. Both. Flocks, herds, silver, gold. And that puts them on a collision course because there's not enough in that area to support them both. So Abraham speaks to his nephew Lot. Now remember the history of this. Abram had, had, had lost his brother, Lot's father, and then had drawn Lot in under his wing. Lot had become part of the family, part of the clan. He had experienced Abram's blessing, Abram's support, Abram's care. He had had a place to live, a place to be comforted. He had traveled with Abram and his family. In other words, Lot owed everything to Abram. And now they're on a collision course. Abram manifests the greatness of his soul. He's growing. Manifests the greatness of his soul when he says to Lot, Lot, we can't go on like this. We don't want to be driven apart by conflict. So Lot, the land is before you. Choose. You go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. Make your choice. And it's at that point that Lot stands at the crossroads, the fork in the road, I need to decide, I need to choose. He's about to make a bad decision. In fact, not only is he about to make a bad decision, he is about to make a decision that is so cataclysmic that will end in such catastrophe for Lot and his family that he has no idea it will end there. Because of that. We ought to pay attention to what made up his decision. What were the elements, the ingredients in his decision? Maybe we can learn something from that. I want you to notice three of them. First of all, Lot's decision was ill-mannered. Ill-mannered. If you place Lot in the culture of his time and day, if you place him as a child of that time, there is no way he should have responded as he did. The truth is, he should have deferred straight back to Abram. He should have said, Uncle Abram, I owe you everything I am. You have taken me in. You have provided for me. You have cared for me. You have enriched me. Uncle Abram, this is your choice, not mine. That's not how he responded. He responded in an ill-mannered way. That helped form his decision. So you're starting residency. You're a new resident on the unit for the first day. Exciting, but you're clearly aware you're at the bottom of the totem pole. There's a potluck that day at noon. You're in the break room, and there's one piece of cake left. And it looks good. And you're looking at that piece of cake when you look up and you see that the chief resident is also looking at that piece of cake. And the chief resident smiles at you and says, would you like it? And you say, giddy up. (laughs) And while you're eating it, you wink at the chief resident. Seriously? You just made the cut, just made the team. You were one of the last, but you made the roster. So now you're excited. Your football dream is going to come true. It's the first out-of-town game. You're at the airport long before you have to be. When they finally open the stairs, you can board. You're ready to get on. You just about run into the coach. A bit uncharacteristically, the coach lets you go first. You climb the stairs, get onto the plane. First seat, first row, first class. You sit down. I mean, you did beat the coach there. Seriously? Your name is Lot. Your uncle Abram says, you look at the land, it's all before you, and there you see in front of you that fertile crescent, that green piece of land that will so well feed your flocks, and you say, that's what I want. Seriously? How ill-mannered can a person be? In fact, as I read it this week, it it kind of got my back up a little bit. I wanted to stand in and defend Abram. In in fact, it reminded me of a story sent to me by a member of our congregation, Lee Anderson. Elderly lady at the bank. Gets to the front of the line finally, pushes her ATM card over to the teller. Says, I'd like to withdraw $500, please. Teller says, man... Anything less than $1,000, you can get it at the outside ATM. We've got a lot of people. But I don't want to go to the outside ATM. It's just easier to do it here. Ma'am, that's the rule. Those are the policies. You need to go to the outside ATM. Next, the elderly lady didn't move. She then pushed her card back to the teller and said, Then I would like to withdraw all of my money. All right, typed on her keyboard, looked at the screen, and her face paled, and her eyes widened, and then she respectfully leaned forward and whispered, man, we don't have this kind of money here at the, you have 35 million dollars. Maybe you could make an appointment with the bank president and the next day or two, we could get it for you. Well, how much can I withdraw? Well, our, our policy right now, probably the most we could do is 250000 Well, that's what I want to withdraw. Well, there's a flurry of activity behind, behind the scenes until finally they bring it out, stacks of it, all that money, push it across the counter to her. She peels off five $100 bills, puts them in her purse, and then she pushes it back to the teller and says, I'd like to deposit $249,500 in my account. (laughs) That what you're doing? That's what I did this week. I said, yeah, there you go. Take that lot. I'll stand with Abraham if nobody else will. It's just so ill-mannered. Lot. Lyman Bryson said, the error of youth is mistaking intelligence for experience, and the error of age is mistaking experience for intelligence. Well, Abram seems to have both, and Lot seems to have neither. So the first element, first ingredient in his decision is that it's ill-mannered. It's just ill-mannered. So we go back to Genesis 13 to look for the second ingredient because the second ingredient in lost decision is that it is not only ill-mannered, it is also self-serving. It's self-serving. So I want to read part of two verses, Genesis 13, starting in verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. I'll take care of number one. I'll make sure that my needs are met. I'll make sure that my families, my flocks, we are taken care of. If I have to step on Uncle Abram to get there, I'll do that. But I will make sure to take care of number one. It's a self-serving decision. In fact, to get a bit of it, clue for us a hint of what that might have looked like listen to these words from old testament scholar john hartley who writes about that part of the land he writes looking out lot was greatly impressed by the rich jordan valley being so fertile that it was comparable to the garden of yahweh that is eden and to the land of egypt this deep rift valley lies some 1,200 feet below sea level. Thus, its climate is warm all year with temperatures ranging from the pleasant 80s in winter to well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in summer. It receives virtually no rainfall. During the cold winters that buffet the Canaanite hills, this region offers pleasant relief. At the north side of the Dead Sea, springs channeled for irrigation. Permit the growing of lush crops year-round. Therefore, farming in that region approximates the kind of farming done in Egypt, a desert made fertile by the Nile. To this day, if you drive there where there is water that irrigates it, the desert blossoms like a rose. And Lot sees that. And he says, that's mine right there. That's what I choose woman named Olive Fernwood, writing in the Christian Reader, said we had gathered as a family to celebrate her birthday. Olive's daughter was there along with her daughter's son, Olive's grandson. Came to the time to cut the cake. She was cutting the cake, and the grandson spoke up loudly so that all could hear and said, I want the biggest piece. Olive's daughter, the boy's mother, was embarrassed and said, that's not polite. Don't say that. Bewildered, he said, then how do I get it? I mean, if I wanted, I asked for it. How else would I get it? I think Lot did that. How else would I get it? In fact, Jesus faced that. In his ministry, you know, as you've read the Gospels, you come time and again to that statement about the disciples fighting back and forth who's the greatest, who's on top, who gets the biggest piece? I'll take it. Can't get it unless you ask for it. In fact, James and John apparently convinced their mother. Their mother comes to Jesus. Mom, he'll say no to us. He loves mothers, Mom. If you ask him, you know what's the most bewildering of all? That happens immediately after Jesus had said something. Jesus has said, I'm going to be arrested, tortured, and killed. He says that. The next thing, the next thing is, can we have first place in your kingdom? I'm thinking, what did I miss? He just said, I'm dying, and you're saying, can we get first? I almost wish, except Jesus would probably be rebuking my heart too, but I almost wish Jesus would have said, yes, you can. There will be three crosses on Calvary. You can hang on my right. You can hang on my left at my coronation at Calvary. How else would you get it? Just ask for it. Second ingredient, self-serving. Ill-mannered, self-serving. And then thirdly, we go back to Genesis 13. It is short-sighted. It's ill-mannered. It is self-serving, and it is short-sighted. So we go back, Genesis 13, we start with verse 12. Verse 12 says, Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Short-sighted. You can picture what Lot may have been thinking as he looks at the land laid out before him. There is that piece of the land that is much more barren, much more desolate. It's called Canaan. It's the promised land. There is more to the north that is much more beautiful. But as he looks at that, it must have looked to him like the Wild West in American history. There's nothing there desirable. There's nothing that can meet our needs. There's nothing I can build on. There's nothing stable. Down here we have not only water and, and food for the flocks and herds, we have cities, cities that are stable and dependable, cities where people live, where they love life, where they have the joie de vivre. Zoar, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's the place I can stake my claim, a place that will last. short-sighted. Speaking of short-sighted, back in 1995, an American scientist by the name of Clifford Stoll wrote a piece in Newsweek magazine. The title of the piece was The Internet, question mark, bah, exclamation point. In the piece, he boldly asserted that the Internet was a passing fad. After that, He was interviewed on a radio program, and I want to read you part of the interview, part of what Stoll had to say in that interview. He said, I expect the value of the Internet for communications in general isn't very high. I don't think it will ever replace face-to-face meetings and real rallies, (laughs) things that get commitment and involvement from people. Rather, it induces a very shallow involvement, and as such, I think it's grossly overpromoted, and there's a great bit of hyperbole surrounding it. I think it's grossly oversold, and within two or three years, people will shrug and say, yeah, the Internet, it was a fad in the early 90s, and it still exists, but, hey, I've got a life to lead and work to do. I don't have time to waste online. I'll get email, I'll read it, but I don't bother prowling around the World Wide Web. There's so little of value there. Short-sighted? Ten years later, at a TED conference... When asked about this, here's what Stoll said. You know what? If you really want to know about the future, don't ask a scientist or technologist or physicist. No, don't ask somebody who's writing code. No, if you want to know what society is going to be like in 20 years, ask a kindergarten teacher. Well, I don't think Lot had a kindergarten teacher because he didn't take the long view. And in fact, the writer of Genesis wants to clue us, the readers, into that just by using the names and the, and the details of the cities. Zoar, he writes, that's the city to which Lot and his daughters will flee in chapter nineteen when Sodom and Gomorrah are obliterated in a vast conflagration. Sodom and Gomorrah—they're already sinning greatly, says the writer. It's a, a warning of what is yet to come. It's saying, careful reader. Lot may not be as far-sighted as he thinks he is. So there you have it. Lot is at the crossroads. He's going to make a decision. He does make a decision. How does he make it? He makes it with the elements of being ill-mannered and self-serving and short-sighted decision made. Our question is, so how'd that work out for you, Lot? Just how did things go? Six chapters later, Genesis 19, we know how things turned out. In fact, some believe that today the places of Sodom and Gomorrah lie beneath the waters of the Dead Sea. Whether that's the exact location or not, I can't say. But what I can tell you, having visited that place on more than two or three occasions... It's barren and desolate and nothing resembling the cities of the plain. Bad decision, catastrophic results. So here we stand at the crossroads today, having to decide Decisions on every front. And we have to make a choice that by the grace of God we say will be a good choice. But what if we make a bad choice? Well, first of all, we need to ask some questions. We need to learn from Lot. What if we were to ask questions about those three elements of his decision? First one, ill-mannered. What if the questions we asked ourselves were, what kind of person am I? Do I need to grow? Do I need to deepen? Do I need to be transformed by the grace of God? Do I need to be a grateful person, a generous person, a kind person, a person who not only has manners in polite society, but a person who cares about those around them? And how would those realities affect my decision? While we're asking those questions, we need to pray, God, make me a gracious, a loving, a humble person. Self-serving? We need to ask ourselves some questions. Just how far am I willing to go to climb the ladder? On how many people am I willing to step? How many colleagues might I be willing to undo? How many relationships might I be willing to damage? Would I be willing to sacrifice my children for career advancement? We need to ask some questions. And then we need to be on our knees praying, God, please make me a servant. Open me to service. Ever remind me that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give. Short-sighted? Oh, God, please let me take the long view. Let me see my life as you see it. Let me ask myself questions like, what will this decision look like when the sun comes up tomorrow? What will it look like in a month, in nine months, in 10 years? Let me take, when I was making a decision one time, somebody I deeply respect said to me, as you make that decision, ask yourself the question, how would you feel if it were on the front page of tomorrow's paper? God, remind me of the long view, of the eternal view. Let's learn from Lot. Ask ourselves questions. But you know what the truth is? As important as those questions are, we all stand or sit here today realizing those questions are too late for some of our decisions. We've already made those decisions. And they're already haunting our lives. Terrible decisions, horrible decisions, hurting other people in the process, damaging our own families, compromising our own futures, decisions which we cannot escape. So God, what do we do about that? If that describes you this morning, here's what I want you to know. When the cataclysmic catastrophe that would be the end of Lot's decision was reached... Do you know where God was? God was grabbing Lot by the arm and saying, I'm going to rescue you from this. I will not allow you to perish here. I love you too much, care about you too much, want a relationship with you too much. You're going to have consequences that will last the rest of your life because you're going to lose family members in this, all of your possessions. But I will not lose you, Lot. I am with you, and I will save you. So if you've made that decision that continues to haunt you, you want to know where God is? He's right there beside you in the pew. He's right there with you, his arm around you, gripping you. You won't get away from me. I will not let you go. I will stand beside you as you face consequences and I will save you as my forever friend. Praise God that he does that for us. It may be too late to ask the questions. If it's not, please ask them because you don't want, you you want to learn from Lot. You don't want to repeat his decision. But if it's too late, God is with you. So we stand at the crossroads. You stand at the crossroads. But today you have that simple lesson that God can redeem even the most poorly motivated bad decisions. So now we add to an option. We've had three options so far. Which will be the most helpful, the most meaningful, the most important to you as you make your next decision? Will it be option A, character, your moral and ethical fiber? Will it be option B, counsel, who has your ear? Will it be option C, composition, what makes you tick? Or will it be today, option D, compassion? The compassion of God the compassion of God that would pursue every one of us all the way into Sodom just to bring us back to his heart. I don't know which option you will choose, but I do hope you'll wait. Just one more week because there's one last option. But as you wait, ask the questions that Lot should have asked. And rest your hands, rest your life, rest your heart in the arms of God, who is a God of profound compassion. Gracious God, our hearts are filled because there have been times when we have made the worst of decisions. Our hearts are filled to consider that you are a God of compassion, that you can redeem even our most poorly motivated bad decisions, and you can draw us into that forever friendship so that, Lord, when that day comes, when the roll is called up yonder, we will be in your presence. In the name of Jesus.